Welcome to Plan B Security with your host, Mike McIntosh. I will tell you I am as exhausted as I am excited after a crazy week of traveling, but here we go for episode 11. So fasten your seatbelt, put on your oxygen mask before assisting other passengers, and let's get ready to go. What I wanted to talk about this time was that the fact that policies and procedures only go so far. You have to really understand why you're having people follow these policies and procedures that you're putting in place. It's almost like forcing a square peg in a round hole. And by that, I mean the side of the square has to be smaller or equal to the radius times the square root of two. I may not be a math person, but I know that that's a little confusing. But in your security program, nobody's going to be doing this math. They just want to know, can they accomplish the goal that they're out there to do? And are you going to be considered a blocker for them or not? Not necessarily an enabler. And if you do it incorrectly, people aren't even going to ask you for an approval. What don't you understand about the word approved? It seems a couple of you don't know what the word approved means. I have very little patience for stupidity. And when this happens, you really start to feel the lack of love. And what better way to solve problems that occur with love than one of our favorite people, Gary Chapman, who wrote the book, The Five Love Languages. I'd say the goal is to not even need plan B in this scenario, but um, I think what we want to focus on instead is finding the right partner and nurturing the relationship with those right partners. And I'm not talking about your spouse or your significant other. I'm talking about just the rest of the organization that you're trying to implement the security program for. Now, every one of those teams and departments are very different. They have different responsibilities to that bottom line of the business. And remember, just always expect the bottom line of the business, even for those security sales organizations, you, you want to make money. That is the goal. There are shareholders, there are investors, people need to make money. Nobody's really doing it out of passion. The idea might have stemmed from there, but if you have paying customers, it's the money that they're after. So I wanted to take a stab to see if I can maybe translate the five love languages, uh, which is gift giving, quality time, words of affirmation, acts of service, and physical touch which me and a few of my coworkers were talking about over the weekend as we drove from Toronto to Niagara Falls and put into a dialect that we as security professionals can understand and give us a different perspective into how to solve some of these problems. Just like a relationship, when somebody is not getting what they need, the other person needs to compensate. If I am hyper aware of you know, I am able to give quality time to one team over another team because I'm more familiar with a certain product or, you know, maybe I'm, I'm more of an application security person. So I'm focusing more on, you know, application security and reducing the OWASP top 10 uh, vulnerabilities within our environment. And I'm not putting time into corporate security programs. Well, hey, that's me understanding my quality time and not me giving what the other folks need, which may be an act of service within that IT team. Some teams need love a lot more than others. It depends on their seniority of the members of their team, or it may depend on the maturity of their program. So not only do you want to be hyper aware and reflective of what you're more comfortable doing and maybe identify areas where you're not giving quality time, but also think about the ones where you can continue to build those relationships by maybe setting up some kind of office hours or time directly with uh, that leadership team or the members of the team in order to do um, you know, knowledge sharing sessions, mentorships, coaching sessions, or maybe even some pair programming. Now let's jump over to gift giving. The one gift no security team ever wants is an incident or a hot potato of a service that nobody else wants to own and maintain. 
And a lot of times, I, I at least in, in my experience, I've always seen the security team be that's me, like that place that is like the ultimate escalation point because they just have that know-how and that uh, intuition in order to distill down something really complex like a bunch of microservices that nobody is, you know, whoever the original authors may have transitioned out of the company. And now it's their time to be able to say, hey, like the security team can get into the meats and potatoes of that service and really understand how it's operating. And sometimes that's where, you know, it needs to go for a little bit of a transition period. I wouldn't say that that's the best gift to give, but it's better than a defunct service that's no longer maintained being accessible via the web. And then you have something like Log4j roll out again. If you don't remember Log4j, Log4j was that one Java service, uh, logging library vulnerability that it hit about a, a year and a half, two years ago, allowing the compromise of Java services using the library. But what you'll see instead is some teams need that gift giving. For example, you may find a team that is using a third party library, uh, open source program, and they want to run it internally. It could be CICD, it could be some sort of auth library, it could be, um, you know, whatever it is, monitoring or like, you know, Grafana or Prometheus or something like that. These services, especially ones developed by a community, are not always full featured and they may not always have everything that your security team needs to be in place for you to use it internally but these teams are going to be doing it anyway. The best gift you can give them is maybe a small commit or a push upstream for a contribution to that third-party library or the open source library where you're providing that functionality that it is that you're looking for. For example, I, when I worked at a previous place, we wanted to use a open source asset management service which did not have any type of Okta support and we did not want to use LDAP so I went ahead and I, I built that directly. We were able to get that rolled out and that allowed us to comply with the requirements for the SSO that we wanted out there, prevented us from needing to pay the vendor to provide a feature, which when we did ask, they said absolutely not, which doesn't make any sense. But because we didn't have veto power over that service and it was a functionality that was considered a P0 priority for the entire organization for visibility and asset management, we extended the olive branch and we gave them that gift of code contribution. Now we just talked about quality time and gift giving. You see how these are concepts that when you read them in the book, it's about spending time with your partner or you wanting your partner to spend time with you or your partner wanting gifts to, to let them know that you're thinking about them. Or maybe you like to receive gifts because it lets you know that somebody's thinking about you all the time. We can do the same thing and translate that into this world of security and see how that same concept now applies to us building better relationships with our partners and the teams while still getting what we really want at the end of the day. We don't want love in this case, we want security. So this is helping us get closer. Next up is gonna be access service. A few examples that come to mind of access service in the love world would be like, you know, maybe doing somebody's laundry, the dishes, uh, things around the house, tidying it up so that you don't have to. Maybe there's something that they forgot to do and you don't want to chastise them. This, I think, is the key. People are always busy. Priorities are always shifting. And sometimes you have to approach it with just a positive mindset, right? That cognitive behavioral therapy approach that they tell you. Always think positive intent. And sometimes when they forget to do it, you need to just pick up the slack without getting angry. I like to think of this one as filing tickets and exceptions on behalf of others. This could be filling out the risk matrix or 
Maybe you're uh, adding some entries on the behalf of some folks to the risk reg register. Maybe they're coming to you with a bunch of questions and you're just answering them. Instead of sending them to make the ticket themselves, you're helping them first and then you're filing the ticket yourself. This one to me screams reducing operational burden on both sides. So if somebody wanted to do the access service towards you, they'd be following your processes, your procedures, they'd be getting everything done exactly how you've documented it, taking that extra burden off the back of your mind, like, hey, can I trust them to even, you know, do the simple stuff that I put out there? And this one kind of slides perfectly right into uh, the words of affirmation, where I would almost imagine this one as like your, your security awareness program on steroids, right? Uh, somebody's doing the right thing, and you're letting them know that they did the right thing. You're constantly seeing it and, and reaffirming, hey, you did the right thing, you did the right thing, you did the right thing. Maybe somebody's reporting a phishing email. Respond back to them right away and let them know that they did the right thing. Somebody saw something weird on their website where there is some tracking cookies or they think that they put their username and password on the wrong web page and they let you know. Let them know they did the right thing. You can take this one even a step further and start gathering more metrics. Um, maybe you're putting together a scorecard for some of the developer teams and the sales teams and the IT teams and the legal teams. And you're saying, Hey, legal team, you started sharing documents a little bit more insecurely. You're not following the processes for, um, communicating with outside counsel. Empathetically, let them know that you understand how much of a time crunch they're on, because a lot of time, if there's some sort of litigation involved, it's usually time sensitive. And then switch over to one of those other love languages that maybe that team needs. Ask them even what it is it that they need to be better, to be safer, and to practice better security. Maybe you have Google Drive in place and you can't share files with a non-Google identity because you don't have visitor sharing enabled. So maybe you had to use some sort of Dropbox or Box or people started using these private accounts in order to do it. As long as they're not putting it up on Pastebin, it shouldn't be a problem. But just keep reminding them that you are there to support them. And the last one is physical touch. I like to think of this one as the detection response side of things um, and, and where like you're physically touching the service or the product that they're working on. In the real world, this would be something like hugs and holding hands. In the digital world, I'd say it's getting uncomfortably close to either responding to incidents or doing your tabletop exercises with some of these teams just to make sure that you are physically within their uncomfortable zone. Some people don't like holding hands or hugging because they get sweaty. And I'll tell you, there's nothing that gets you sweatier than responding to an incident when you have absolutely no visibility into it, no logs, no playbooks, and no understanding of how that service or system worked. Now, on the security side, if somebody was practicing my physical touch, I would imagine that this would be them reading the documents, asking comments, leaving FAQ questions all over the place, engaging with everything that I have already put out there. This could be, you know, maybe like somebody's going to be traveling. What's the travel policy? Do we allow people to use certain types of software? Do we have that software um, registry list somewhere where they can see is there pre-approved or, or not approved software? What type of alternatives can I give? Taking that off of my day-to-day -day need uh, to stop what I'm doing so somebody else can self-service what they're doing, that would be physical touch in my mind. So, you know, I would give you a challenge Think about these five different love languages, and maybe there's even a few others that are outside the traditional five that everybody has already studied. And think about your business partners and your coworkers and your teammates and, and just whoever it is out there, people that are going to have to adhere to your security program requirements and see how you can make it easier to speak their language. 
you know, some of the other episodes on the podcasts, which I really would encourage you to go listen to. We talk about understanding their common language and establishing common languages, but now we're bringing the emotion back into it. Um, in, in episode 10, I talked about removing emotion as much as possible, but here we want to actually put it back so we can build those relationships so people don't go around you. Again, the second that they feel that you're going to be gatekeeping or slowing them down, they're going to look for forgiveness instead of asking permission. And that's the last thing you want because that starts to introduce risk and compliance concerns. And I think as you start to build more of these relationships uh, and understand what it is that the rest of the business needs, because almost every time you hit a roadblock, it's going to be outside of your control to fix it. And in the same breath, I'd be concerned if you didn't call me out on that statement, because we should be making people go through these standard practices and procedures. But one of the last steps in there should be what your exception process is. A good policy and a good procedure will always have an exception process associated with it. For example, your organization requires you to have SSO enabled for every application that you're onboarding, but there's a new service that you want to integrate and they don't support SSO at all. It's going to be local user accounts, but when you're doing your investigation into it, you're like, okay, hey, there's only going to be four people within the company that have access to this. There is going to be no financial information, no user data, and it's considered low risk. It's just something that's needed in order to facilitate some other smaller, non-important business function uh, to make the team a little bit more efficient and effective on their operational tasks. Okay, cool. This can be an exception that we'll filed. Now, what are the things that we need to think about? Build this into the policy and the procedure. Let the folks self-service themselves what it is that you'll be asking for when you're looking to file those exceptions. So for example... How do people get onboarded? How do people get offboarded? What is the password policy going to be? Who's going to be responsible for responding to an incident related to that tool? Uh, and who's responsible for following with the security team if there's any material changes to how we're engaging with that vendor? Putting that in place drives the alignment between the requester within the organization and your security team while putting focus on allowing the exception to go through so you're not gatekeeping them. You are enabling them. We can confirm that but you're also crossing your T's and dotting your I's in case you know they become into scope uh, for some sort of compliance requirement. Think of that as an act of service that you're actually giving that team. You're allowing them to do it themselves uh, and maybe even a little bit of a physical touch in there because now your team can be a little bit more, in a way, hands-off, which is uh, kind of a contradictory to the whole physical touch. But if you think about it, you can be a little bit more hands-off. There's a lot less friction and a lot more love in that communication back and forth between those teams. Now you just made a champion for your security program. I think the ability to find information and organization will always be key to the success of the security program, but keeping it up to date will be hard. If you can get it to a point where it's point and click, point and click, point and click, or you know, you're repetitively doing this thing you know, several, 10 times a day, uh, but you can clearly point to some sort of logic path or journey map uh, into completing whatever task it is, that's a great time to be able to automate it and even do self-updating documentation as part of the automation steps. Maybe you're propagating a table somewhere within Confluence or Wiki or you know your Jira. Maybe you're appending certain fields uh, in Jira for issue types. So then that way, you know, if you approved a piece of software, now it's selectable within that Jira field. These are things that you are now giving gifts back to the rest of the organization. So then that way they can now be a little bit more self-serviced and, and uh, you know, 
do what they need to do, how they need to do it, when they need to do it without you needing to sort of break your stride. And lastly, let people know that you're doing the right thing. Give them that confirmation, that words of affirmation. Some folks, it, it's going to just go right over their head, but it's still a good practice to be able to do. If you see a reduction in account takeovers through social engineering, through your support org or uh, a different vector um, where it was previously high, let them know that you see that there's a change and that the company is now more secure and that you can give back to the community that you're trying to serve because you're no longer allowing these compromises to go through at the rate that they used to. Let them know that there's a positive feedback loop, uh, you know, that you're recognizing that this is happening. Now, I know a few of these seem to be a little bit of a reach, but again, you know, like I said, halfway through, I really want this to be a little bit more of a challenge for you to take some of these pre-existing ideas and thought processes that we have, you know, gone through already and find ways to implement them in a way where you're now building this repeatable framework to do it over and over and over with different needs of the different people within your organization. I keep saying different people, different organizations, across the organization, cross-functional partners. These are generic on purpose. No two companies are exactly alike, and I can't give you that golden formula to, to solve all the problems that you're running into. I can only give you a little bit of a tool, and then you gotta figure out how to actually use it. Now, one of the best things about this whole five love languages thing is that there's actually a companion book for it called the five apology languages. And, you know, maybe in the future, I'll do something similar to that for when people are uh, messing up or you as a security team, you know, accidentally break something in production or, uh, you know, you're, you're doing what you need to do because you have to do it and it's your job, but you're making it more difficult for others. How do we say sorry? How do we make them feel appreciated? How do we make sure we don't do it again? We don't necessarily want to pay retribution for any of it, but we do want to let them know that we understand how we did impact them negatively. So that might be a fun topic to explore in the future. And with that, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Plan B Security with me, Mike McIntosh.